Welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. In this episode, I talk with Eric Harburn of Boom Studios about his adventures at 2022's San Diego Comic-Con, specifically his first Hall H experience, which was a doozy. We also cover how Keanu Reeves, Matt Kent, Ron Garney, and the rest of the creative team work together on getting Berserker out. We also talk about the early moves on the development of Something is Killing the Children, the reasons behind his promotion to executive editor, and not being frightened of ending a series when the time is right. Also, a bonus, I'm making my 2019 interview with Eric, which you can find on the Portrait of an Editor Patreon page, free for a bit longer. Check it out and think of signing up to get the many other interviews I have on that page. Now here's my conversation with Eric. Enjoy. So Eric, welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. The last time we talked, according to my Skype records, is uh, back in March of 2019. First question, I guess, uh, do you have plans to show up in New York Comic Con or was San Diego good enough for you for, for, ne- for the next couple of years? Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's it's been a while. Things uh, things have happened uh, since March 2019. But um, no, I think you know uh, San Diego was great the past couple weeks ago. Um, and then yeah, right now I'm still figuring out plans for the back half of the year. But um, if San Diego is any indication, it feels like you know cons may not be fully back, but um, they're getting there. So I would certainly love to to make it out. Number of the interviews I've had over the years is that San Diego's great. It's easy for people on the West Coast, but for a lot of publishers, New York enable you know makes it really easy for the European folks to come in. I know COVID's really thrown a, a wrench into the whole works, but do you when you've gone to New York? Because I think we met oh, like 2017 or something. Just Mike Perkins introduced yeah, yeah. us briefly um, over a beer when we were a group of us were having a beer. I think Cy and you were. Uh, hanging out yep. together so is it is new york something that you would like to get to as an editor because it enables you to see like the people from europe that you're working with or is it just because of the size of the show i mean what do you look at new york the difference between new york and san diego for you when it comes to you as an editor yeah no that's a great question and i think uh, you hit it in one in that it's it's really the main American show that um, Europeans go to. So um, as an editor, and particularly an editor that works with a lot of Europeans and a lot of Brits in, in particular, it's the show where I can go see Cy, I can go see Al Ewing, I can go see just everybody that that I work with. So more so than the convention itself, because um, even before COVID, I think um, you would get to a point where you try and stay off the show floor as much as you can. And it's more just like, everybody's in the same city for, for this period of time. So try and see as many folks as you can and kind of, and get together. So yeah, that's really, um, you know, it's great to be in New York. It's great to be in the city. It's nice to be able to walk it a bit better than San Diego, which is so um, localized down at the gas lamp. Whereas you can kind of, you can kind of travel a bit more in New York. You can make it what you want, uh, NYCC, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great show and obviously, um, I think, you know, the people make the show. So that continues to be probably my favorite American American show these days. Yeah, that's the thing about New York, like San Diego, that whole week, it's Comic-Con. You can't get away yeah. from it. But New York, it's like three blocks away from the Javits Center. It's like, I'm in New York. That's it. You know, I might see <laughs> exactly. a couple people dragging big, huge bags around or, you know, especially on the subway out of the, uh, that one stop. But I'm like, it really just absorbs and becomes New York again. and. Yeah, I've talked to editors. They're like, oh, I'm only scheduled for two days on the show, and then I'm not going to be. I'm like, oh, well, that's impressive that you're only able to, you know, you don't have to be there. You, know, you just have meetings elsewhere or wherever the hotels are. You know, it's it does feel like, I mean, do you feel that maybe new, you know, things start that it's more business-oriented because of the people that come in from Europe and just the way that you're able to just sort of remove yourself from the con you know, to do the business instead of being at the con to, you know, meet up with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the beauty is like, you're able to do more good work outside the con as an editor to creator kind of, um, you know, meetups, but also it's, you can be more, have more personal connections outside the con too, because there's not all this 
you know, everything. It's just, it's a circus, you know, and it's, it's fun. It's great. But like, you know, just getting out, grabbing a coffee, getting a drink, whatever, and being able to just breathe a bit and actually talk and not have to worry about who's passing by and not having to, you know, being able to be a little more open. It's, it's just, it's much nicer. Um, you know, as an editor, when you're, when you're meeting that, there are times where it's like, you know, an editor going through an artist alley and just meeting new people and checking out people's portfolios and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're really, you know, I think each editor can go to a show with a different approach and a different goal in mind. But, um, for the most part, um, these days I'm going places to see folks I work with and, and kind of get those semi-annual check-ins and just, you know, talk story, talk what's coming up, all that. So it, it's nice to have the, the con as a, meeting place that you can then leave immediately <laughs> now speaking of artist alley how was artist alley in san diego did you have a chance to walk through it i mean how did they uh deal with it seeing that there's been some downtime yeah i mean as far as i saw and i didn't spend a whole lot of time on the show floor at san diego but it seemed um had the same same spacing as, as previous years it seems like it was robustly populated and um I'd be curious. I'd, I'd honestly be curious to talk to some folks who, um, who set up there and, and how their show went and how the traffic was and everything. Um, from, from my POV, it was kind of like about 75 to 80% of a normal San Diego in terms of, um, attendance and, and people walking the floors. So, um, how that translates to, you know, selling commissions and selling originals and all that stuff. Like, TBD, I guess, but um, yeah, it seems it, it didn't get downsized. It didn't really get moved anywhere. So it was encouraging to see um, post pandemic. It's still trying to, you know, put the artists, you know, as much in the spotlight as they can at, at a show like that, which is so massive and has many masters to serve. Yeah. I, you know, there's always that grumbling about the artist alley at, at uh, San Diego. And it's good to hear that, you know, it didn't, lose any ground this year is that and and uh so yeah well maybe maybe someday i'll get back out to san diego (laughs) but i was really you know even though i was uh reading while on vacation and just sort of skimming through stuff and trying to catch up with all the news i have to say and i think we were talking about this off it it felt and it felt good that the show seemed to have the energy that it's been missing for a little while. I think the attendance was like 130,000 and um, some other editors I've talked to, they really liked going there. They felt the show was one of the better comic con, you know, San Diego's they've been to in a while. And it sounds, you, you know, what do you think? Do you feel that way too? I know I was going to lead up to hall H, which was, must've been one hell of an experience, but I mean, did you feel, the energy was there and it was a good, good show to be at. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. It was, um, it was probably the, my favorite San Diego I've been to, um, <laughs> for various reasons and you know, <laughs> otherwise, I mean, we'll talk about some of the, the big stuff that Boone was up to, which is, which is cool, but yeah, just the general vibe of the show, it, it was less claustrophobic. It was less, um, overwhelming. It just, it ever, you know, it, it felt, you could tell that everyone was happy to be around their colleagues and their fans and their friends um, after so long away. And I know there's been other shows, but this is maybe the first major, major show um, that didn't, didn't have major restrictions. I think Um, it was safe. They had plenty of, you know, uh, precautionaries, but it wasn't like major social distancing and, and those kind of things that, the shows the last few years, I feel like were probably, I didn't attend. This is the first one I've been to in a while, but it feels like those were probably neither fish nor fowl kind of like, okay, we're trying, but it's not a full show. This is one of the first ones that felt like a, a, a great show. So speaking of full shows, let's the hall H one and getting ready yeah. for this interview. Congratulations. Um, uh, comics have been in hall H before about, I guess maybe a series of comic, but to talk about Berserker with Keanu and and everybody, and you're up there too. So, what was that like? I mean, it seemed like it was a packed house, which is like six thousand people. 
I think in Hall H or something like that. Like Sixty five hundred. Sixty five hundred. Capacity. Yeah. Okay. So, and it looked like it was a pretty packed. Um, what was it like just walking up on stage? I mean, you've have you ever you've never done this before, right? You've never been in Hall H. You've never been on the stage in Hall H. Let me. I guess no, I should find no. out. Yeah, I've never I never even uh, been in as as a, a fan or a, a viewer. So the first no. time I was in Hall H was stepping out on that stage, which was it was surreal. You know, it was. I'm I'm really I think we're really really happy and, and um, thankful that you know it, it's happened before, but it's very very rare that an mm-hmm. actual comic book can be featured in Hall H. Um, and obviously, you know. Getting Keanu up there is great, but getting Matt Kent and Ron Garney and Matt Matson Tomlin and Stephen and Matt and myself, you know, the whole crew, it was it was um, a really fantastic experience. It's it's funny we had um, a, a Slaughterverse, which is some skill of children. Um, uh-huh. We had a panel an hour earlier, myself and James, um, and that was in one of the, the standard rooms up up top, and it was a really great panel there too. Um, really great turnout, and it's funny that which is a couple hundred people versus the sixty five hundred in the all age. It's like the slaughterverse panel is maybe a little more intimidating because the people are right there and you can see them, and they're you know they're real people. They're only ten feet away. The whole age was just like it's just a sea. You can't even focus on a single person. So it's really like you're just talking to an empty room. So it was. Um, it was nuts. It was it was pretty fun. Obviously, you know, everyone's there to see Keanu, um, which is which is great. It was fun to be up there, but um the fact that we were able to, you know, um maybe tell some tell some folks who haven't read the comic or read any comics, you know, Hall H is not really the comics uh readers area of that con. So if we can uh-huh. we can convert some folks and have them pick up a copy of Berserker and turn them into a reader, that's that's always the goal. So it was really, really fun to to be a part of that, a very small part of it. Now, an editor usually is the guy, you know, behind the curtain, you know, usually. I mean, in France, I, I mean, when I was working in Humanoids, my name never even appeared on any of the books that I worked on. So, like, so when you're brought up into Hall H, how did you prep for this? Did Boom, I mean, did, did you have, I don't know, handlers? Did you have a publicity person? I mean, was, you know... I don't feel you're just going to wing something as big as that. So you as an editor, how did you prep for this? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I want to shout out our, our marketing team did a fantastic job. Um, just getting the, getting the panel ready, you know, Brianna Sarpy, um, she, she actually ran the, the tech for the show. She was calling the, the shots. She was calling the lighting. She was calling the, um, the, the presentation. And then uh, Ryan Matsunaga is our uh, marketing director, and he did. He, he was our handler. He was helping usher us everywhere, and um, helping you know us get the seating right, run, getting us through the rundown, all that stuff. So um, yeah, it was you know it wasn't anything larger than that, but it was our team did a, a brilliant job of of helping us, and obviously Keanu's team is there too, and. Um, yeah, no, there wasn't there wasn't that much. It was maybe a little more winged than uh, you maybe might expect, but um, you know, I, I think for us just going up, it was be authentic. You know, talk about the comic, talk about our our approach, and really make sure that people see how passionate Keanu is about the book and the property, and how involved he is in the creative. Because I think that was our biggest one of our biggest goals was making sure that people understood like. This isn't a thing that you know. Maybe some other celebrity comics or properties, the 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 celebrity is is less involved, and maybe it's just their name on it. That is a hundred percent not the case for Berserker. Keanu is the co-writer. Like he and and Kent write every line of every every issue, and um, this is Keanu's baby. So. Um, I think you can see, you know, anytime he talks about it, I think you can see the passion he has and the excitement he has for the character in the book. And to be able to to show that to such a huge audience like that was really, you know, one of the big highlights of the show. Now, when you're editing him, how does it, do you just, hey, it's just another, you know, it's one of my many books I need to get out this month in a way. But I mean, is there... Are you editing, you know, what's the working relationship you have? Because you guys have been working a lot, you know, leading up to Hall H. So how is that 
evolved from the the you know the beginning of the book to where you are now yeah no it's 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 been a really fantastic working relationship so it started we've been working on the book for a very long time and yeah you know keanu and the boom team and, and matt kent were working on it even before i was brought in um in late um i believe it was 2018 uh, i can't remember now time is time is a flat circle yeah i know yeah, COVID, yeah. Uh, but it's been a few years and so you know in the beginning um there were a lot of um like story conferences where you know we were all in the same room we would get keanu and matt and matt gagnon the editor-in-chief and Stephen christie or president of development over on the film tv side we would all just be in a room and you know we would be basically documenting as Keanu and Kent just just rift and kind of build the story in the room um we would basically have a session for each issue in each big portion and then um Matt and Keanu would go off and Matt would write and Keanu would basically be Skyping and calling him and they would be basically working on the script together and then you know after those first couple you know maybe the first 6 months or so after that it's become a pretty standard comic writer editor relationship in that matt and keanu work on the scripts they send them in we you know give them some feedback and there's a little bit back and forth and then we get ron involved and ron starts uh fleshing it out so it's really not that different than how we work from anybody else i think which is which is great and fun and you know matt kent and and i and boom have worked together for many years you know we've done multiple books from grass kings to black badge to folklords so that was certainly a great um, a great part of, of establishing uh, a process for Keanu and to see how how comics work and to see how um, you know the production process works. And Matt's been invaluable and a, a fantastic. You know, he, he's indispensable. He's he's what makes Berserker run, just like Keanu and Ron and Bill and Clem. So. Um, yeah, not not too not too out of the ordinary, but maybe that is out of the ordinary that a a, a person so high profile can step in and, and write a comic like like anybody else. It's it's been it's been fun. It's been a really you know uh, an experience to remember for sure. Now, did he come in with uh, a decent familiarity with the medium and how you know how it works, especially coming from filmmaking, where you know it can. It's just a description for somebody to cross a room, but in comics, you have to write maybe one, two, three, four panels for somebody to get across the room. Did he, was he familiar with sort of the nuances already? Oh yeah, yeah. He's a he's a lifelong comics fan. I think mm-hmm. he's a he's a, obviously a, an incredible visual story storyteller himself. And um, I think really, you know, it's it in the early stages, it came down to the nuts and bolts of. Um, of the form and that's where you know matt kent was able to really you know be an incredible teacher and show him hey you know this is this is how much visual information you can pack in one page this is how how long a scene can be or should be etc so it was less like having to teach from the ground up and really just kind of slightly adapt so it's like okay if, if a screenplay is like this the comic is is not far off but is you know, this is how we change, or this is how we would re-break the story, or this is how, um, you know, this is how it's going to be most effective in uh, in this medium. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it's, you know, he, he is uh, as as amazing a person as he seems online or in, in you know, in public. He's, he's a great dude and, and very, very passionate about the work and um, passionate about supporting the creative team um and, and you know always does his does his best and he shouts out matt and ron and bill and clem and you know is very excited about having created a comic first and foremost before you know hopefully we get some other stuff and you know we at the panel we talked about uh some of the the cool stuff that's in the works at works at netflix like the feature film that mattson tomlin is currently writing um as well as an anime series that's in development and then, um, you know, we'll have some other stuff for the property. But first and foremost, um, Keanu just wanted to set out to make the best comic possible. And, and I think uh, we're all really pleased with how it's come along. Yeah, and the great thing about comics is that you don't run into the, all the roadblocks that making a movie or even an animated show 
you know, can run into or the years it takes to get something up and running. Is there anything else you learned from the experience that you hope to bring back to Hall H again? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to hold my breath on that front, but I, maybe, maybe we'll get there someday. I would love to, um, you know, I think the next, the next goal for, for me and us is like, if we can get another comic up there, that's, that would be, that would be the, you know, the goal. Um, I would love to get, um, Slaughterverse up there and James and there's plenty of other folks that um, I think do work that could 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 fill that room and, and hopefully you know we'll see what what comes next but I think the lesson is just um, you know for me personally is to to live in the moment and to enjoy enjoy these successes and hopefully learn how we can collectively turn them into into future successes and and by that I mean more readers and comics more more readers in comic stores, you know, more people supporting this medium that we all love. Um, because as, as we know, a lot of these comics are the backbone of all of the other shows and films and et cetera, that fill up all age. Like we wouldn't have Comic-Con without comics. And the more that we can continue to um, put the artists and the creators and the writers up on those big stages, um, the better. Yeah. and. A lot of them deserve to be in that hall. I mean, you know, yeah. my prime time of going to Comic Con—that was the complaint—and it's glad, it's nice to see, you know, that Hall H, you know, the comics got its moment at Hall H this past Comic Con. And there's—I agree with you. There's more people that should be sitting up there. And so, for another thing, you know, you saw, you had a great Comic Con. Congratulations on you, you know, James, your whole team's win uh, for that Eisner on um something's killing the children uh what is it continuing series is that what it was yep that's yeah right. it was a uh, best continuing series so thank you very much um <laughs> really really proud of well, james took home his second consecutive best writer eisner yep. um so it was a really great and the best new series for nice house on the lake so it's a really great great night for james um we couldn't be couldn't be prouder uh, of him and Werther and, you know, Mikkel and Darren of And World and just really the whole Some Skin the Children team. Um, this, it was, um, the book was nominated for Best New Series two years ago and Best Continuing Series last year. And then this year it finally took it home. So it felt like, um, you know, really just continue to be blown away by the support for that project and that property um, out in the space. Um, we knew when we started it that it was um, it was something special, but the continued kind of success it's it's garnered, and really the readership that um, has supported this, you know, it was it was um, an experimental approach that James took when he started this book. It was unlike anything else he had written. It was more methodically paced. It was living in small moments it was living with the characters and it you know for for as cool as erica is and that character design is it is not an action comic it is um you know something that lives in the trauma of of violence and death that that affects everyone and so it's really rewarding to see that a book like this um can reach such a wide readership and i think it's it's a testament to the whole team and and you know we just Last week, we just um, hit our 25th issue. Um, we also obviously have the spinoff with House of Slaughter that's going strong into its second year in the next couple weeks. Um, so, you know, it's it's been a trip. And, you know, I also want to shout out, you know, we had a, a, a bunch of other um, books and creators nominated for the Eisners that didn't end up taking, taking awards home, but we're just as proud of, you know, the Layla Star team and Ram and Felipe and Inez and and Darren of And World again, and then Mike Delinas of Wind and David Peterson of Mouse Guard and Ed Dukeshire of tons and tons of books that uh, are lettered at Boom. So overall, it was it was a fantastic night. You know, it's it's really you know it, it's great to be part of that room. And I think you know we've probably seen some stuff about the speeches and whatnot, like. Phil Jimenez did some really powerful, powerful work in talking about um, his wins and his life and et cetera. But that room is, it can be, it can be a long ceremony, but it's, um, 
it's really rewarding to be to be able to be in that room and, and to be around that much um legendary talent and to just celebrate celebrate the craft and celebrate the medium is it's a great experience um so just just thankful you know when you came out of this con how energized were you to get back to work very yeah i mean <laughs> that, that was one of well thankfully i had a, I had a shorter con than usual so a, a lot of folks have do the whole marathon of like Wednesday to Monday sometimes. And Uh I was just there from Friday till Sunday morning. So I got in, got out and still back to work, you know? And so I think it it might take some other folks a little longer to get back in the swing, but no, it was really, really energizing and and so exciting to, um, yeah, like you're saying, get back to it. And, And, you know, there's new people you're talking to, but there's also just new ideas from your, um, your current colleagues and like how we're going to expand things further, how we're going to, you know, what's the next step for a lot of these, these projects and properties. So you're like maybe three months, six months, maybe sometimes depending on where your project is a year ahead of us. So you're coming out of this con energized. Do you have to, and also the creators on your various books are probably if they attended and, you know, probably have that same, do you have to try to corral that energy? Do you have to go, wait, 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 wait a minute. We got to stick with our plan or, or does, did something with that experience and sort of the adrenaline rush that you get, you know, coming out of the con and the creative rush, did something immediate, good immediately come out of or for some of the books you're working on? Or is it something you feel that just will help get these creators, you know, just re-energize them and they will just continue to deliver with the plans that you have. Yeah, no, I think it's a mix of both. And I think it's, you know, the most important thing more than like, Oh, this thing got solidified or we're doing this thing or we've made this decision is really like you've been talking about. And we've been talking about is the energy and just like, not just my excitement, but the renewed excitement of, of your teams and everybody working with. Cause it's like, Oh, maybe you figured out this small thing that's not going to come into play until you know, 2023. Oh, but the view has crystallized a little bit more and we can kind of, we know what we're working towards. So it's less immediately gratifying um, in terms of, Oh, this is going to be a book that's out next month, but it is gratifying in the sense that, um, you know, it's, it's so much harder to have those epiphanies and have those, um, those bits unlock for you. when you're not in the room and you're not kind of like there together and you can be in the same space and kind of, Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. This is, this is something that we hadn't considered yet. So yeah, I mean, and for my books in particular, I think, you know, it's going to be, we'll see a lot of this con come to fruition in 2023, but um, it was great. It was a really, really good show. Now you said something just a little while back about when you were working on, uh, something is, is killing the children that you felt it was special from the beginning. And I've only read the, f- the first two trades, so I have to catch up a bit, but you were saying the small moments, was it sort of, you know, James's decision to focus in on the small moments, even though there is a you know, typical world building in comics going on, the organization that's there. And, but it is a very intimate book. Uh, you know, throughout what I've read so far, at times it just takes its time with that. Was that the thing you felt, or was it just the overall sort of what he came to you with about you know the large brushstrokes of the idea? Yeah, yeah, no, and and that's totally you know that's it's all James. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, it's he's talked about that book and that concept and that title quite a bit out in the space, but for a quick, um, a quick walkthrough, like, you know, well, I more guess than anything, maybe from your point of view as an editor, I mean, was yeah. that the same thing that, you know, that he's talked about that you were, that was yeah, kind engaging, of engaging um, with you? Essentially. I mean, at, at the start, I mean, he, he's had that title since very, a well, very long time, like since, since he was in college, but the first we had talked about the title was 2013, I believe. Oh, wow. And not not until, yeah, but it was only a title at that point. He didn't know what it was, but it was like, I'm doing a book called this. Uh, it wasn't until, I think, probably around twenty mid-2018 
um, that we really got to work and, and set set to you know build it. And initially, it was going to be even more um, even more experimental. Like his original plan was to do five issues, and each issue was in a different place and focused on a different um, investigation or you know a child that's been attacked by a monster. And Erica Slaughter was more of a, a phantom-like character that just was around the edges and wasn't the focal character. And you can kind of see that in that first arc, um, especially that first issue where I think Erica's on four or five pages out of around 30. But as he started scripting and as he got through the first issue, it became, oh, I need to spend more time in this one location. He got through issue two, I think, and it was like, oh, this isn't five issues. This is This is a much longer story. And then it just kept growing from there, which is cool because, you know, we were we were obviously supportive and, and we loved what was happening. And, you know, originally it was five issues. It was greenlit for five issues. We increased that to 15 to tell that first, you know, we, we consider it a quote unquote novel. Those first 15 issues are kind of a complete story. Then we did a five issue interlude that was a flashback. And now we're, you know, in the midst of our second novel um, from issues 21 through 35. Um, but everything you noted, it's like, I think the, the beauty of that book is that, yes, it, it's intimate and personal, but there's this really um, intentional drip feed of mythology. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it doesn't come swinging. It's not issue one. Here's the Order of St. George. Here's how all these masks work. It really, like, you get just piecemeal little bits every couple of issues. And then, you know. Once you get to issues, um, the fourth arc, 16 through 20, you, you get a lot more. We spend some time at the House of Slaughter. You get a nice big download before we move on and get back to Erica's life. But it's really the, the balance of those two. I think he's, you know, he's the best writer in the business at doing that. And, you know, I would argue that he's the best writer in the business, period. You know, and I think he has two Eisner Awards back to back that, that prove that. Um, but yeah, it's it's all in the deft touch um, that he's got for that that concept. It's interesting. You said that there's a time jumping. Uh, you know, originally you guys were talking time jumping, and I'm reading. You know, what we we only find them when they're dead. And you want to talk about time jumps too, yeah. <laughs> and generational time jumps. Is that something that you're curious about as an editor, or is it just happened to be two creators who brought you this these ideas that use time in a you know uh fluid way yeah no i mean it's certainly something that that interests me but um more than anything i think it just becomes something in the zeitgeist or something that you know there are times every couple of years you might have a few creators who in their own silos are kind of um interrogating or or talking about similar concepts i think that's probably one of them Um, i also think that you know if you if you pull out further for a wider kind of um, thirty thousand foot view of it, um, comics the medium is capable of doing some of those types of story um, story structures and uh, explorations that maybe other mediums can't. You know, it, it's it's fun to be able like how I don't Godspeed. I hope somebody can, um, but we only find them especially the full series and all three. Uh-huh all three books of it would be very hard to adapt outside of an animated series. Like I, I hope so. If somebody has a great idea, they should definitely um, get in touch with boom. But like, <laughs> that's a very expensive series. Um, yeah. And the world building is, is unparalleled. I'm, I'm really excited for people to, um, we're, we're coming to a close on it. So it's going to be 15 issues total. Um, I'm sending issue 13 to press today. Um, but I could not be more excited um, with what Al and Simone and Darren again. Darren is clearly one of one of the letters I work with most. Um, the lucky rabbit's foot in some ways. Um, but when that book comes to a close and, and people can read the whole tome, I'm really excited because I think it's one of the um, one of the most important books that Boom is publishing. I think it's something that um, maybe has been slept on the last year or two since it kind of launched. Um, and it's just that they're doing really, really, really smart comics. Um, 
and I hope I hope people uh, circle back around and, and read the conclusion. Yeah, my experience was like the first four issues. Yeah, uh, was wow. Anyway, I love to see this on IMAX. If yeah. you had the right director, the scale of the gods and the space, and just I mean, this could push. You know, this could be an amazing. And I'm like, then I read issue five. I'm like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Okay, no, this is something comics can only really push, take, you know, really do well. You know, yeah. going back to what you just said, the expense and being able to do it, but. And then, of course, as the series has moved on, I'm going, I'm going to reread this again already once I get the last issue, because there's nuances and everything that I will, you know, will will get a lot, you know, reading from beginning to end in probably one sitting. But, I mean, the visuals of the first five issues is just amazing. It's very cinematic still. It's cinematic, but the complexity of the storytelling is something I don't know. If, you know, novels could handle it, yes, but I don't know if movies can, you know, and maybe a series can too, you know, but it, you're right. It, it's, it, it, there would be a lot of heavy lifting on making, being able to pull this off, but there is a through line too. There are through lines throughout this that, you know, I think could work in, in other mediums too, but definitely this is something that really enjoys being a comic book <laughs> <laughs> for sure um and yeah i think it's it's obviously al is um uh he's one of my favorite favorite people to work with and um and simone too i think simone has brought you know simone puts every drop of himself into that yeah. book and yeah. into every panel and the way in which he can obviously yeah the expansive you know the scale of the gods and the cinematic like he's so great at that like he's one of the best in the business at, at making each panel kinetic and dynamic. And um, I would say as, as you get to definitely this third book, um, you'll see it's, it's built a unique structure where like um, every other issue is essentially uh, a one act play between two characters. And so it's, you know, it's without spoiling anything, there's some negotiations or interrogations, et cetera. But like, they're just single room one act plays in in a, in a comics issue, and we're talking like sometimes there's twelve panels per page. Uh-huh. It's very talking heads, but Simone has done a brilliant job of be, of bringing that same level of emotion and, and motion to something that is so static. So I'll be curious. I think it's um, if you like the first volume and and dug the start of the second one, I think seeing how all three kind of talk to each other um is going to be a real treat when it's all said and done yeah i'm on uh, issue what is it 12 right now so yeah just great okay right so yeah i see how the third volume is now leap you know going back it's still there is like i said there is a through line it's not yeah it's really interesting um so we only got a few more minutes left uh, one thing, I, the reason why I reached out to you at the beginning of this year was to congratulate you on your promotion to executive editor. And um, seeing this is a show about editors, I wanted to talk to you about yeah. like sort of your progression, because I just noticed you started at, D, at Marvel as an editorial intern, I believe. And then yep. um, and for everybody, I'm going to probably make our initial interview, our first in- interview from 2019. I'll make it available for folks for a little while. So <laughs> that's been it's moved on to my Patreon page. So <laughs> but I'll make it available so everybody can see what we talked about then. But in 2018, I believe senior editor, and then in 2021, executive ed- editor. So seeing we're a little crunch for time, what's the difference between senior and executive, other than you've probably gotten a couple years older? You know? <laughs> There's definitely that for sure. Uh, a couple years older, a couple more gray hairs. Um no, I think you know it, it, it's different for every publisher. I think at at Boom, the difference is that um, uh, you know I'm in more meetings. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, but it's 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 being able to take a, a, a wider view of the department and work alongside. You know, Sierra Han is is our other executive editor. Uh, Bryce Carlson, who I think you've, you've talked to a few times, he's yep. our VP of editorial and creative strategy. And then Matt Gagnon is our editor-in-chief. So the the four of us are able to, um, in addition to kind of all the books that we each work on and all the, the staff members that we work with and all that, um, you know, we 
just take a look at, at the department at large and, you know, help, help craft the team, help shape, um, you know, what our upcoming slates are going to look up, are going to look like, um, you know, work with other departments. It really, it, it's, um, it's like senior editor plus in some ways. And there's, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference, but, um, it does, uh, it's been nice and it's been it's been cool to be able to help um chart the future of the studios imprint and the original series in, in particular as those those are my focus um alongside you know my team members who also have other focuses like that so um it's not a not a huge sea shift or sea change um but it is you know more responsibilities more um more work um and it's more rewarding it's it's been fun and um you know very very uh happy and, and feel very thankful to have been at boom for you know it's coming up on 12 years in october um i'll have been here uh and i've loved every second of it i love um the books that we produce i love the stories that you know we are supported in telling and helping our creators tell um and, you know, I think the next big goals are just to continue to be a home for for creators to to do their best work. That's what we want to be. So when you say you have more responsibilities or and stuff, is there is there an element because in the five years of doing the podcast, I've been watching Boom and I watch how they promote from within and mm-hmm. you've got they've retained, you know, Bryce is still there, Daphna. You, mm-hmm. you know, some people have moved on and moved on to success in other places, but the way Boom seems to be almost annually doing promotions, you know, holding, you know, moving their editors up, you know, giving them more responsibilities, you know, and titles and et cetera, um, is part of your job as executive editor is to be part of that, of mentoring people, now, you know, of maybe creating the next wave of editors uh for boom you know or is that yeah. is that something you're doing too okay yeah of course um and it's you know supporting our team is one of our main focuses and it's not just the executives it's the senior editors as well it's it's our our title editors um and, and as well as the junior staff i think you know we're really as a company we're really proud of our retention rates you know certainly want to increase them as much as we can and and, um be a place where um you know someone like me i I started as an intern and and i've been able to to grow and evolve and um improve with the company and we want to be a place where you know anybody can do that and um you know i think we're doing a good job of it. There's always room to improve. So I think those are areas that we look at and like, all right, as we head into 2023, what are the other ways that we can, you know, support our team and and help them get to where they want to go? Not just in editorial either, but across the company and our our various other departments. I think um, a big part of of being an executive editor like myself right now is just being a support system for, for everybody inside and outside the company. So because um, I think, you know, we talk about, um, you know, staff members growing and, and evolving, but, you know, the other half of that is we want our, our creators and our partners to to grow and evolve and, and experience higher levels of success as they continue to work with us as well. So, um, yeah, it's a lot, but uh, it's fun, and I, I love doing it. Is there one thing you might have learned way back when, when you first came on board that sort of carried you through that sort of a I guess maybe a truism or, or something that, you know, if you're going to be a, an editor at boom that, you know, work, you know, really was compatible with the company's philosophy and, and stuff that has, um, you know, carried you through, you know, with how you approach editing. I don't I don't know if that's a too much of a weird, wild question, but no, I hope no, I'm making I think- sense. <laughs> What what has for me personally, and I can't speak for everybody, obviously, mm-hmm. but for yeah. me personally, um, I think the reason that Boom has been such a great home for me the past twelve years is that um, the company supports authenticity. The company, you know, we strive to have. I always say, um, 
we strive for um, accessible content, you know, books that hopefully you can pass along to anybody, whether they are fluent or not in the medium, um, whether they like a certain genre or not, like accessibility is a huge one. Um, you know, elevated storytelling is a huge one for me. Um, no matter who you hand it to, I also want it to be a story or a book that can um, kind of transcend mere genre. I want it to be something that, that elicits emotion and whatever that may be, it may be, you know, um, it can still be an amazing action book, but like there's something in there that still um, speaks deeper than just the page. And then curation, um, you know, I think more than anything, we um, we strive for every one of our books to be important and be a focus for us. And we try to avoid um, putting too much out in the market. We know how hard it is to, as a reader, but also as a retailer, to support so many books every week, uh, month in and month out. So, like, we we strive for every book to be something that, um, retailers and readers can take take a bet on and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna find something in this that I like, and it's not something that um, hopefully clogs up store shelves and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have I don't have the axiom, but um, uh-huh. you know, accessibility, elevation, and curation are really three tenets that I always strive for in, in every book that I personally edit, and it's something that you know I think we we strive for as a company as well. That's interesting because one of my conversations with Bryce, I think the reason why I wanted to have it was the announcement that Boom had made about having conversations with retailers regarding uh, the, how many books they would put out into the market, you know. And here we are a bunch of years later, and that's still something that it, Boom is a, a, thinks about, is considerate of, it, and it seems from what you're saying and just everything that's been going on with boom, that, that, that approach has paid off in, yeah, yeah. in, in a way. You know, Philip, Philip Zablick and our, our publishing team and everybody mm-hmm. on that side of the business, I think um, has done a, an excellent job of, of listening and just, you know, retailers are our partners. <laughs> like we want to help support them. It's like, and we always heard, you know, if you're more focused, I can sell more of your book. If you don't shotgun or kind of, you know, fire hose us, we can take a position and really give these books our all. And that's all we want is to give retailers something that they can sell and they can feel good about, um, you know, giving to their customers. And I think um, that that's paid dividends. And, and, you know, we want to, we don't want to rest on our laurels. We want to continue to do that. And I think, you know, something like, the success of Grimm, uh, which is by Stephanie Phillips and Flaviano, uh-huh. Rico Renzi, and Tom Napolitano. That's been a, a fantastic success for us this year, and it's a great book. Um, but it's it's even more so than that. It feels like it's captured some spark, and um, we've you know had to go back to multiple printings and all that kind of stuff. And the more of, of those types of projects that we can kind of uh, get out to retailers where they can bank on, hey, look. Um, readers are going to love this. You might get some speculators, sure, and that's great, whatever. But like at the core, you have books that readers are going to come back for month after month. Um, that's what we're we're out to to cultivate and try and, and build with folks. So um, I don't want to say it's quality over quantity. I think you know that's certainly. Um, something we strive for, but you know, as we get bigger and, and sell more books, I mean, getting more more work out there is great, but we never want to oversaturate ourselves or or comic shelves. Yeah, and it also seems, and I know we're almost out of time. It also seems that you guys aren't scared of having an ending. You know, like what is it a, a book that Daphne edited, edited Seven Secrets, and yeah. um, you know, we only find them when they're dead. These books are ending. When they, they, it seems like when they want to end, it didn't seem like there was any, you know, they were, these are both lean and mean series, but I would think the numbers might, would allow them to maybe continue on. But I don't know, is it, is that something too? Is that part of the, the approach of not flooding the market, but also taking approach of that, not being scared of ending something? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's always a, you know, it's always a conversation with the creators too, because it's, um, 
if a story's done, a story's done. We're not looking to ex- extend something past when people, you know, the the natural expiration date of a story. So, you know, I think in the terms of Seven Secrets, um, Tom and I don't work on that personally, but Tom and Danielle, I believe, you know, they had that three arc kind of um, structure in mind. We were able to tell the full thing. Same thing with Alan Simone. Al was, you know, thought of it as three books from very early on. Um, but then you also see other other series like Somebody Skin the Children is is going to be going for a very long time. I don't know that we have, you know, uh, James recently, you know, said that we're looking at 75 issues. So I think we'll be right around there. Um, we'll see. Maybe it'll go longer. Um, Once in Future is another fantastic book um, that we do with Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora. Um, and that is actually going to be wrapping up in the next couple months. But that that will have gone 30 issues. So. There isn't kind of a set limit. There isn't, you know, we do a lot of five-issue miniseries. We do a lot of 12-issue maxi-series. But we're not scared of, of different iterations. It really just comes down to what do the creators want to tell and are we able to build a readership that can support it? If, if so, then, you know, we're in, a, we're in a blessed position that we can kind of, hey, yeah, let's do the, the best story possible and then that's that. But you know, it's, there's always market considerations and other things, but um, at the end of the day, we're always going to try and tell, you know, allow the, the creators to tell the story they want to tell at whatever length they feel is right. Well, hey, Eric, our time is up, so I'm going to let you get back to work. Thank you very much for, you know, interrupting your day. And no, th- <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. It's always great to chat, and hopefully we can... Uh, do it again sooner than than last time and hopefully there's a few less world events in <laughs> yeah. between definitely yeah i definitely would have you on if uh you managed to get to new york let's talk there do a quick talk there and congratulations on san diego so, thanks so much and uh <laughs> keep up the great work on your thank, thank you, for you. Doing what you do. you're welcome i'll talk to you later